Think about it for a second. Grace has an answer already. All right. Travis is going to get the crazy uh, echo effect or whatever we got going on. Uh, yeah, there we go. All right. So, sound a little more normal. All right. So, Grace. All right. So, Chandler and Joey from the TV, uh, scene where they're moving the couch. But there's, there's a little bit of inappropriate innuendo at the very beginning, and I thought maybe uh, some like parents of 7th and 8th graders would get really mad at me, so I did not uh, do that. So um, go watch that on your own time uh, if your parents allow you. Yes, Jack. That's a lot of friends all together in one. Good job. Always together. All right, I did say pair, but that'll work. They're a group. That'll work. We'll take groups. Yes. All right, SpongeBob and Patrick, Joey, Spider-Man, and just, it doesn't need one. Ian, I see. All right. All right. Yes, sir. Dwight and Jim. Uh, Oh, Ella's hand was up for Dwight and Jim, but it was stolen from her. I apologize. Great choice. All right. All right, kind of a love-hate relationship there, antagonistic. Let me go to the back, and I'll come back to you. Owen, Carlton and Will, cousins and friends. Yes, Jack. Coleman and Max. Everyone else in the group left out, sorry. All right, anybody else? Okay, nobody, nobody else? Yes. Okay, all right, sweet. little Gravity, gravity Falls reference. Yes. Christian, you have one? Yes, Lance? Okay, a little Tarzan action. All right. Okay. Yes, Grace. Shaggy and Scooby. Olivia? Lightning McQueen and Mater. Yes, sir. Zach and Cody. I don't know. Anybody friends with their siblings? Nobody. All right. It's a sweet life. Yes. Thank you. I dropped, I dropped a sweet life on you. Yes. Mickey and Pluto. Okay. All right. I, I thought you were to say Nicki Minaj and Cardi B. <laughs> didn't, uh, didn't work out so well. But the two of them did it. Adults, um, I'll explain the reference later. Yes. Phineas and Ferb. Yes. Those, those. They are. Also. Also, question, did school ever start back on Phineas and Ferb? Never-ending summer. All right, anybody else? Matthew. All right, last one, Matthew. I'm sorry, I couldn't hear you. Anakin and Obi-Wan. That lasted for a while until it didn't. Yes. Buzz and Woody. Oh, yes. You got a friend in me. All right. Yes. Yeah, that's a, good, that's a good one. All right. So I, I think that's enough friend pairs. All right. So here's what I want you to do for the rest of the time. Okay. You're going to listen to me and take notes if you want to take notes. But uh, like, I'm not just going to leave. But I want you, as we begin to look at five different things that I think Scripture teaches us about friendship, I want us to, in the back of our minds, have our own friendships in mind. Right? Like, even if you come in here and you're like, I don't have any friends. Right? All right. Um, Okay, we all go through those moments in our, in our lives for sure, right? In middle school, I completely felt like I had no friends at all, um, 
Oh, yes, it was, it was super sad, right? And we all, we all go through that at some point. And it's, and it's cyclical, okay? And we'll talk about that in a second. But I want you to keep your friendships, your personal friendships, guys, in the back of your minds as we talk about this. Because as we talk about what Scripture teaches us about friendship, it's going to be, just like we talked about last week with our parents, it's going to be countercultural to what the world tells us friendships look like, okay? So like the TV show Friends, hilarious show, but in the depiction of what friendship looks like in Friends, although it's an entertaining show, and I've, I've seen every episode, okay, I have to confess to you that I have, right? It's, it's, it's counter to what Scripture tells us friendship looks like, okay? Uh, now, there's some good things that happen. There's some really funny episodes, and it's not all bad, right? But the, the, the entire premise on, on which the show is built is contrary to what God's Word says. And so I want us to keep our friendships in the back of our mind as we examine what Scripture tells us about friendships, and we'll begin to examine how our friendships stack up against not what the world says or what the standard of friendship is at Daphne High School or Spanish Fort High School or Spanish Fort Middle or, uh, or at your home school or whatever it is, right? What we will look at what Scripture says about friendship and be able to see if we are focused on the same thing God says we should be focused on. Does that make sense? All right, so tonight's a little different. And normally I try to camp out in one passage of Scripture and, and do what's called uh, an exegetical uh, message or sermon and just look at one piece of Scripture. Um, but what I want us to do tonight is to, we're going to look at a bunch of different scriptures because I want us to get kind of a broad picture of friendship. We're going to start by reading 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21, which is kind of our theme verse or foundational verse for the semester where we get this idea of applied. So I'm actually going to start in verse 16. I think 17 through 21 should be on the screen. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 21. It says, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. So therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, Christ God was reconciling or bringing back the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us, believers, the message of reconciliation or making things right. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us, so we implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled or be made right with God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So I want us to look at a key truth real quickly every week, just kind of the, the, the bare bones of what we're talking about. Biblical friendships model the love of Christ. I'll give it to you in two parts so you can write it down if you're taking notes. Biblical friendships model the love of Christ for the purpose of honoring God the Father. Biblical friendships model the love of Christ for the purpose of honoring God. You boil it down to, we, our friendships model Christ or look like Christ so that we honor God. The entire point of friendship, which is something God created and established, just like he created the relationship between us and our parents, just like he created the, the, the marriage relationship, okay? He created us and created the idea, the concept of friendship in order to honor him in the way that we love and engage one another. Did you know that? Did you know that friendship, and that's the air conditioning, I usually have it on all the way um, so it doesn't do that, but... Friendship, okay, isn't about one friend or the other. 
It's not about either party in the relationship. It's, it's about the relationship and the way we interact with one another honoring God, okay? And so that's the key truth for tonight. Biblical friendships model the love of Christ for the purpose of honoring God the Father. So five things that uh, Scripture tells us about friendships, okay? I'm going to read a lot of passages of Scripture, and I'll give you some to write down if, if you're taking notes. If not, no big deal. So the first thing, friendships are intended. Friendships are intended. That just means they were created by God. God created friendship. He intended it to be a thing, okay? Friendships aren't something that just happened after the fact where God put people here on the earth and we decided that friendship would be cool. We see in the very beginning of time that God ordains friendship. You might tell me the first set of friends in Scripture. Yes. Very good, Jack. Yes, absolutely. Right? And uh, I think we have Genesis 2.18, okay? Do we have that there? We don't have it? Okay. All right. My bad. I thought I put it on there. Cool. All right. So Genesis 2.18, uh, where God tells uh, Adam that it's not good for him to be alone, and he, he needs, uh, most translations say helper. It Really, the best translation from the Hebrew there is companion. He gives... Adam a companion. And God tells Adam that, that it's not good for him to just be in solitude. It's not good for him to be isolated and by himself. And so he sends Eve. And Adam and Eve, not only are they the, the first male and the first female and given a lot of responsibility in terms of keeping up with the garden and, and having dominion over uh, the earth and being uh, fruitful and multiplying and repopulating the earth, but they're also friends. They're companions for one another. They provide each other with friendship. Okay, what we know today is friendship. God created very intentionally friendship. Friendship, guys, look, look at me. Fellowship, connection, community with one another is absolutely necessary to grow as a Christ follower. If you think that you can grow as a Christ follower on your own, by yourself, you are sadly mistaken. It doesn't mean that you can't have good moments, and it doesn't mean that you always have to be in the midst of everybody. It doesn't mean that you have to have a billion friends at all times and have the most Instagram followers or Snapchat friends. But what it does mean is that God created you in such a way that you require other people. You need encouragement. Think about it in your own life. When you have struggled the most in your life, when you have been at your darkest point, I guarantee you that 99.9% of the time you felt alone in some way. When you were struggling the most. Now, it may be that you had a lot of friends, but they were superficial relationships and not meaningful relationships. I've been that way in my own life. As someone who is a minister, I've got to tell you that Quite honestly, it's kind of like being in middle school all over again in terms of friendships. It's, it's very difficult to have friend relationships with people in the place where I serve. I've got to be honest with you. There's a lot of stuff that happens in the church that, that very few people know about because our church is full of people, right? And what are people? They're sinful people. I'm a sinful person. So there's a lot of stuff that happens behind the scenes, stuff that I can't talk about with other people. Right? I, can talk, I can talk to Tony about it, I can talk to Stuart about it, I can talk to Will about it, and that's pretty much it. Like, and my wife. So like, I have like four or five people in the world that, that their things are in, in this area that I can talk about what I do every day. 
There's other stuff I can't talk about. Somebody comes in and needs counseling. I can't tell anybody about that, right? Somebody says, hey, I'm going to leave the church and I'm mad at so-and-so. I can't go around and tell people that. Somebody comes in and says, hey, I hate you. I, I, I guess I could tell people that because it's about me, but I don't want to because I want other people to hate me too. But, oh, well, he, he said it out loud, so let's join in, right? It's very difficult. And so it's, it's hard, right? And my darkest points in my life is where I felt isolated and disconnected from other people. From God, first of all, but from other people as well because you don't have people giving you encouragement, okay? And so I just want you to kind of write these down if you're taking notes. Some examples of friendship and the passages where you can go and see them. I just want you to see that God created friendship. He created companionship. He created intimacy between your peers for a very particular reason. So uh, you have Adam and Eve. You also have uh, Abraham and Lot, Genesis 14. Abraham and Lot, Genesis 14, 14 through 16. That's Abraham and Lot, Genesis 14, 14 through 16. Ruth and Naomi, Ruth chapter 1, 16 and 17. You could go and read the whole story of these friendships, but I gave you just kind of some very key passages here. Ruth and Naomi, Ruth 1, 16 and 17. David and Jonathan, which is one of the most beautiful pictures of sacrificial friendship that we see in Scripture. That's in 1 Samuel 18. 1 Samuel 18. If you want to look at verses 1 through 3 in particular, that would be helpful. And then you have Elijah and Elisha. Elijah, that's with a J, E-L-I-J-A-H. And Elisha, E-L-I-S-A. In 2 Kings 2, 2. 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 2. And then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and their boy Daniel. You can put Rack, Shack, and Benny if you want to. That's what they call them on Veggie Tales. Or you can just put Daniel and his three pals, whatever you want to do. Daniel chapter 1 is where the four of them are talked about together when they stand up to King Nebuchadnezzar during the captivity. And also Paul and Timothy. And I didn't give you one particular passage there, but Paul and Timothy throughout Paul's writings, um, you can go and look at First and Second Timothy in particular, and you see the friendship and the mentorship between Paul, who is uh, a little bit older, and Timothy, who is an up-and-coming young um, teacher and pastor. And so Paul and Timothy as well. Friendships were intended, and you were intended to be a friend and to have friends. But on the flip side of that, friendships can also become idols. Friendship can become idols. Friendship can become problematic if the friendship, the relationship, is the focal point rather than God being the focal point. See, I believe that Scripture teaches us that how we view things has so much to do with how we follow Christ. That's why, that's why I use the word perspective 8 billion times every week. It's because that idea of how we view things shapes how we do things. How we view things shapes how we do things. Max is laughing at my quote, but it really does, all right? I really, I don't have that written down. It just kind of came to me, sorry. That's pretty cheesy, all right? But seriously, how you view things, how you view the world, how you view other people, how you view yourself will have a profound impact on what you do and how you engage the world. And so if you view your relationships as the be-all, end-all, then you're going to worship the relationship. The relationship is going to be the most important thing. Rather than us viewing our pleasing God as the thing and we view our relationship as the means by which we do that. That's why I started out with the key truth. Because if we think 
uh, right, if, uh, if Abigail, right, um, I'm just because you're sitting next to Abby, right, if, if Abigail and Abby view their friendship as the main thing in their life, that's great. They, they may be good friends, right? But at some point, something's going to happen with them. And suddenly, that relationship, which has become the thing, right, if it ends, right, or if it hits a rough patch, the, the thing that they have sought to hold up begins to crumble and their whole life begins to crumble around it. But if they view that relationship as the means by which they glorify God, which is something that's eternal, now they know how to engage one another, right? If something happens, right? Abby does something to Abigail, right? right? Abigail may get upset, she may get frustrated, but she knows in the end that that relationship isn't about Abigail and it's not about Abby. The relationship is about God and they can now be ambassadors or ministers of reconciliation for the purposes of glorifying God by the way they love one another, by the way they engage one another, by the way they point one another to Jesus. There's some examples here, though, where Scripture warns us. 1 Corinthians 15, 33, you can write that one down. Uh, Very simply, bad company corrupts good morals. Bad company corrupts good morals. If we continuously, and hear me out on this, okay, because it's it's a little more complex than it may seem, okay? If we continuously... Um, saturate ourselves with, with relationships that are toxic, eventually that's going to wear on us and we will fall victim to that. You can see it in your life. If you hang around people who are a bad influence on you, eventually over time, you're going to give in. No matter how strong you are, okay, eventually you're going to give in. It's, it's the old example, like if I'm sitting on this stool, right, and I try to pull Lance up on the stool, right? I like Lance, but I'm stronger than Lance. Let's be real. I got dad's strength. Old man strength, okay? And so he may can run longer than me, uh, farther than me, but I, I'm stronger than Lance, but I couldn't pull Lance up on this stool before he pulled me down, right? It's, it's, it's much more difficult to pull someone up than it is down. Lance could very easily pull me off this stool right now, right? It's the same deal. If you're hanging around people who have this toxic influence on you, it's going to eventually corrupt you. It's what Scripture tells us, Right? Also in Proverbs 18.24, it says, a man of too many friends comes to ruin, but there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't have a lot of friends. What it means is that if you are all about having friends for the sake of having friends, it's going to eventually have a negative outcome in your life. If you're just collecting friends, right, if that's what you're trying to do, right, everybody wants to have the most Instagram followers, the most Instagram likes and all that kind of stuff, which is fine, whatever, but if that, if that is our focus, right, if it's how we find value and meaning in our life, that's going to eventually leave us empty. How do you think people who have the most MySpace followers feel today about themselves? I don't know, but they don't have any MySpace followers anymore because MySpace doesn't exist. And guess what? In a few years, guess what's not going to exist? Instagram. It won't. Fa- or you know what will happen? All of your parents will get on Instagram and you'll go somewhere else, just like you did Facebook, right? That's how it happens, right? Us old people get on stuff. Actually, I was on Facebook like the year it came out before most of y'all were even born. Um, but uh, seriously, some, I was on it in like 2004 when it first launched, I think. And some of y'all, uh, Ben, how old are you? When were you born? Boom, holy smokes. After Hurricane Katrina. Oh my goodness, right? All right, so... 2006, I graduated college when Ben was born, right? And so eventually what I'm saying is that that stuff is going to fade, right? 
How many friends you have is, is gonna fade eventually. What scripture tells us is that meaningful relationships that seek to honor God is what matters. So friendships, relationships in general be, can become idols. If we place all our value in the relationship. Hey guys, let me tell you a really hard lesson to learn that I'm still in the process of learning. Human relationships, the world tells us that they are all about emotion and feeling, right? If a relationship makes me feel good, then it's a good relationship. If it provides uh, meaning and purpose or uh, good feelings, right, then then it must be of value. What Scripture tells us, though, is that relationships, all of them, are about using that relationship to honor God. It doesn't mean that there aren't good emotions that come with that, right? There are. There's joy that comes with that. And byproducts are happiness and love and security and satisfaction. But what I'm telling you guys is that, and this is almost impossible to learn at any age, but especially your age. It's the way that your brain is hardwired at this age developmentally. And all of the chemicals that are shooting through your body right now. Everything is about you and your life right now. It is. It's just, it's just how adolescence works. It doesn't get much easier as an adult. But everything is about what feels good and makes me feel good or comfortable or safe or happy or whatever. But if all of our relationships are built on that and not on how we use those relationships to honor God, when those relationships end, and they will, you're going to left with this huge void that you tried to fill with a relationship. Rather than having relationships that are sustainable because the relationships are about honoring God. Does that make sense? Relationships will be difficult. All these kind of piggyback on each other, but relationships will be difficult. Galatians chapter 2. Okay, so is our pro presenter not working? Is that the issue at all? Okay, cool. Galatians chapter 2, 11 through 13. There it is. Okay. But when Cephas or Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. This is Paul writing, okay, to the church of Galatia. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles, but when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Peter, he's called Cephas in this particular passage, it has this issue where he is eating with a certain group of people, right? Okay, he's eating with a certain group of people, all right? And all of a sudden, because certain influential people come in, he decides he's not going to eat with that group of people. And essentially, the, the rub here is that he's now treating people as less than equal because he's worried about the opinion of a few people. And so Paul, who's good friends with Peter, calls Peter out. He says, to his face, I went to Peter, and I called him out and told him that he was wrong, that he was leading people away from Christ, Guys, listen to me. You are going to have difficulties in relationships, particularly in friendships, but in all relationships. How many of you ever had a disagreement with your friend, with your best friend, right? Like bad disagreement, like I'm not going to talk to you for a while or I'm going to start saying crazy stuff behind your back or to your face or punch you in the mouth kind of crazy stuff, right? It happens, right? You know why? Because they're sinful humans and so are you. It's going to happen in your dating relationships. It's going to happen with your parents. It's going to happen with your siblings. It's going to happen when you get married. And yet, God says that even though that relationship may be difficult, the way you respond to the difficulty 
right, is how we point people to Jesus. Paul and Peter were some of the most influential leaders in the early church. Guys, if there was a Mount Rushmore, right, of Christian leaders, Paul and Peter would both have their faces sculpted on the side of a mountain. I mean, they were like the dudes in the first century. Right? Paul spread the gospel to more people in history than, than anybody could possibly have imagined. He wrote the majority of the New Testament. Peter is there preaching in Acts chapter 2 when thousands of people come to know Christ for the very first time. The church is multiplied and the New Testament church really begins because of their faithfulness. And these two great men were friends and yet they still had conflict and difficulty. You're going to have that too because guess what? Ain't nobody in here, Peter or Paul. Or Mary. <laughs> All right. Sorry, it's an old person joke. Never mind. All right. Uh, anyway, um, so difficulties. You're going to have them. But friendships are redemptive as well, redemptive. They have the power to redeem or to, uh, you could even use the word restore or to heal. Philippians chapter 1. Do we have that one? Verses 3 through 11. We'll read that one together. It says, I thank God. In all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And it is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Paul is writing to a church of people, a church that he helped start, a church that he's now partners in ministry with. And the passion and the love with which Paul writes to that church tells you that Paul, his main concern for that church is not that they would adore him as their pastor or leader or founder, that they wouldn't just revere his character, but Paul seeks for every man and woman and child in the church at Philippi to come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior so that they can spend all eternity with him. And so that God would receive the glory in that happening. Am I aimed at pointing my friends toward Christ? Even when things are difficult, is redemption or reconciliation my focus? How many of you, when you're hurt in a relationship, seek ways to hurt the other person back? Just be honest. Right, like, uh, yeah, thank you. Travis raised his hand. Right, thank you. Yeah, I mean, we do, right? Like, let, let me just be real. Let me just be real honest with you right now. Candace and I have been married ten years now. We know how to hurt each other's feelings if we want to. You know how to hurt James' feelings. He knows how to hurt your feelings, doesn't he? Right, Drew. You know how to hurt Allison's feelings. Does Allison have? Yeah, right, yeah, yeah. She's not here. You're good. All right. I'll edit this before I put it online. We we know how to hurt each other's feelings. Hey, look, guys, I remember growing up, okay, like, dude, if I wanted to, I could make my mom cry for days with three or four words. If I, I'm saying if I wanted to, I, I knew how to upset my mom. 
I'm not saying that I did that often. I don't remember ever doing it on purpose. I really don't. But I, I still to this day, right, my mom, I don't think she's going to listen to this, um, but um, sometimes she listens to me on like Sundays, but not on a Wednesday. She doesn't care about that. But like my mom sends these ridiculously long group t- uh, text messages to our whole family. And they're like all super emotional, a lot of emojis as well. It's like six paragraphs long. No, I'm serious. This is what happens. You'll understand this one day because your mom will be doing this one day too uh, when you get older. Um, luckily, text messages didn't exist when I lived with my parents. Um, but um, so my mom will send like six paragraph text messages to like me and Candace and my brother and his wife and my sister and her husband and her husband, whatever. Um, but like usually she'll send these long deals and like my siblings won't respond at all. And so I'll just throw like a Stanley from the office eye roll gif on there to her in response, to res, in response to her six paragraph deal. Right? Yeah. And so, and I can just picture my mom, like she probably rolls her eyes at me first, but it, I know it, it, it probably hurts her. Right? But I, I know how to upset someone. Right? I do use that gif a lot because it's hilarious. Because I, because I love Stanley, all right? I wish I, could, I wish I could be Stanley, all right? And so, but listen to me. Hey, here's what I'm saying, guys. We're almost finished. We got one more, and then we'll be done. Um, we know how to hurt each other. We're really good at that. But in our relationships with one another, especially our friendships, do we seek to honor Christ in the way that we respond in the way that we have friendships? Or are we worried about ourselves? Right, because human nature says, hey, you hurt me, and so I'm either going to A, hurt you back, or B, I'm going to withdraw from this relationship so you can't hurt me anymore, right? It's the fight or flight mentality, right? So if uh, Corinne and Sophie are hanging out and Corinne does something really mean to Sophie, Sophie, her human nature says either one of two things, either I'm gonna hurt Corinne back, or I'm just going to say, forget you, Corinne. I'll go find another friend. Right? But what Scripture says is neither of those options works. What Scripture says is that you, is that you pour out grace and mercy on, on the person that hurts you. So that not only do they get a picture of Christ's sacrifice and grace and mercy, but everyone who's watching gets that. Do you know that everyone around you is watching how you interact with one another as friends? Like, listen to me. Hey, guys, listen to me. I know it's air conditions. It'll be fine. Hey, listen to me. Even if you don't think you have friends, you don't think people are watching you, you don't think people look up to you, they are. There is someone at all times watching how you interact with other people. I guarantee you. And so when someone hurts you and you seek to either hurt them back or you just say, forget you, and you write them off and say, I don't need you because you hurt me, there are people watching that the person that you're engaged with, but also other people around you. But you have the opportunity to provide redemption. To say, hey, look, Anthony, I know you hurt me in this friendship. But, you know, he would never do that. But because because Christ, listen to me. Hey, guys, listen to me. Because Christ has forgiven me, I want to forgive you and give you mercy and give you grace and restoration. Friendships have the power to be redemptive. But also, finally, friendships have the opportunity to provide hope. Friendships have the opportunity to provide hope. John 15, 13, do you have that passage up there? 
Victoria. Very familiar. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Christ's love provides hope through his sacrifice and his resurrection. All of us have hope because Jesus Christ died on our behalf for our sin in our place. We were hopeless and helpless before Christ died for us. But now, because of Christ's death and his resurrection, we now have hope to spend eternity with God the Father. There's nothing we could do or say to earn grace or forgiveness. Christ poured it out freely on the cross for us. Likewise, we have to ask ourselves this question. Am I in the business of sacrificing of myself for the people around me? Do my friendships, do my relationships look like Jesus in the way that I sacrificially love people? Let me tell you something that, quite honestly, as adults and as the church, we've got to figure out in a hurry or we're going to lose an entire generation or two to the world. We've got to figure out that life is not about us. I've got to figure out that life is not about me. That this entire life, the the reason that I am here on this earth is to glorify God by the things that I say and the things that I do. And that manifests itself in our relationships with one another, in our friendships. Guys, look, I know it's difficult. We could all sit here and share story after story about how our friends just absolutely destroyed our feelings our reputations, obliterated the trust that we had in them, the confidence that we had in ourselves. Some of you, because of your relationship with your parents or not having a relationship with your parents or your family, it makes friendships even more difficult. And I I get that. I do. But guys, what an opportunity you have to build friendships that are based on the sacrifice that you provide that mirrors the sacrifice that Christ provided. What amazing hope you can bring to people that are hurting. I sat at Daphne Middle School today doing first priority this morning. And it was a great turnout, a lot of kids there. And it talked about the parable of the lost sheep, which you guys know and you sing about um, um, and reckless love and, and other stuff. A, a story, a parable that Jesus tells about a shepherd who has a hundred sheep and one goes missing and he leaves the 99 to go and get the one, which seems foolish to, to us. But he loves the one so much that he, he goes and gets it and doesn't just grab it and kick it back into the middle of the flock, but he picks, Scripture says he picks the sheep up, puts it over his shoulder and rejoices that he found the one. So as I sat at that middle school this morning and I, I went through that parable, there was a, a group of girls and I, don't, I have no idea, I don't know them. It's the first time I've ever been at Daphne Middle School and not known a soul in first priority. There's this group of girls in the back left-hand corner in the library at Daphne Middle. And I could see tears running down their eyes as I began to talk about how our identity is not found in what we think of ourselves or what other people say about us or what Instagram or Snapchat says about us. But our identity is found in the fact that God sent his son to rescue the one, to rescue us. 
and that God values us in such a way that he was willing to send his very own son to redeem us. That's how God sees you. The creator of the universe sees you as significant enough to to send his son down to die a brutal death to go and save the one, and not only save you, but to rejoice over the fact that he gives you new life, even though you don't deserve it. That's the kind of hope that you have the potential to bring to people. And I don't know what was going on with those little girls in the back of the room, but something tells me that at some point very recently, they've had a lot of struggles with who they are, how they fit in, how people view them, how they view themselves. Last night at uh, Daphne United Methodist Church, there was a suicide prevention uh, seminar on, um, on just talking about how to reach out to people who have considered taking their own lives. And guys, let me tell you that I know that in, in this room, okay, in a group this size, that there are several of us that are, that are struggling with who we are, acceptance, value, and our self-worth. And let me tell you two things, and then I'm going to close, and the band's going to lead us in a song that couldn't fit any better with this. God values you more than anybody on this planet will ever value you. He created you very intently and very intimately. He knows everything about you and created you in the way that you were created with the mannerisms and the personality, the physical features, the talents and abilities that you have because he loves you and wants you to use those things to glorify and honor him. So when you begin to feel worthless and you begin to feel left out and separated and alone and isolated. I know that's a terrible place to be. Guys, I've been there too. Know that God loves you and values you. And maybe you say, well, I haven't, I haven't really been there. Well, guess why God created you? To wrap your arms around the people who feel that way and to love them and to encourage them and remind them that what this world says about them doesn't matter at all because this world will pass away. But to remind them what God said about them. And that God wants to restore them and rescue them in the same way that he rescues that lost sheep. That's the power your friendships have. is to bring hope. Not just hope for I feel better about myself today than I did yesterday. That's important. But hope that has the power to change someone's eternity because of the way that you love them, the way that you encourage them, the way that you point them to Jesus. Let's pray together, and our band's gonna come and lead us.